Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. It's so great to connect with you and learn more about your story with HSCT. So let's just start with your diagnosis story. I was working and had experienced severe fatigue the week of work and just trying to pump up on coffee and caffeine thinking, gosh, I mean, I'm so tired. Mm. And it was, I was used to just going, 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 and then falling out and sleeping. And, um, but then I sat down at my desk at work and I was trying to look at the computer and I felt like an immediate explosive headache. And I put my head in my hands like, oh my gosh, what was that? When I opened my eyes up, the whole room was spinning. Oh no. Yeah, I was so dizzy and I had a fleeting thought, oh my goodness, did I just have like a brain aneurysm, a stroke? Um, I, I knew something had happened, um, but I was hoping for the best. So I just went home and got in the bed. I should not have even driven home, but thankfully it was like five minutes from my house. Mm. And... and I got in the bed thinking, okay, let me just lay down and hope that this passes. And it didn't. And it was horrible vertigo. And then my vision went completely double. Like I had double vision I, vertically. Like I was looking at things, but everything was double. Oh, no. And I'm like, okay, something really big has happened here. <laughs> But I'm just still kind of stubborn and put my head in the sand like, well, maybe it'll pass. I don't know. You know, maybe I overdid it. You know, you start blaming, you know, different things. And I ended up going to my eye doctor. I called him first and he ordered an immediate MRI and then I, I had never had an MRI up to that day, so I wasn't sure what to expect. And thankfully, he also gave me a prescription for Valium because I was in that tube with the helmet on my head for much longer than I thought I was going to be. Yeah, and it's a very uh, long process. Very long. And... um there's spiritual dynamics that were part of it for me. Like I, my faith in God and I'm just trying to ask God, you know, what's happening, you know, praying. And I just have to tell you this funny part. You don't have to use it and whatever you, whatever, sure. however you, but I was married 
Um, and the man I was married to was real self-conscious because he was going bald. Mm. And I he was driving me to the MRI. And I had my Bible and I I'm like, I don't even know what to read or what to do, but I'm just going to do what I call roulette with the Bible and just open it up and just read it. Right. Sure. <laughs> and it happened to open at Second Kings chapter two, which was not a regular thing that I read. And I was reading about Elijah going to a certain city and the younger people came out of the woods and were teasing him about being bald. I didn't even know that that was in the Bible. Oh, wow. You know? And I were riding to the MRI and I turned and looked at, at the husband and I said, well, even a prophet of God got teased about being bald. It's okay. Right. <laughs> and it kind of lightened the moment, but that, that was just a little sidecar thing of my life. Um, well, it can but, be very stressful to go for your first MRI and not know what to expect. Yeah. And um, not know what to expect is exactly right. And I was suspicious that maybe they would come back and say that it was something like I, either a brain tumor or I'd had a stroke or maybe MS because that eye doctor was asking me other questions mm. specifically about MS. And I'm like, no, you know, and there's nothing genetic, you know, no, I don't know. I don't have any of that stuff, but he, he seemed to already be suspicious. Now I know the eye presentation is pretty much a giveaway. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, and so, um, yeah, the next day he called and said that I had a lot of uh, lesion activity that were active and that I had MS and he wanted me to see a neurologist. And so the journey began and that was in 1998. Okay. 1998. So your yeah. eye doctor was the one who diagnosed you? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then what was it like even meeting your first neurologist? How long did it take to get that appointment? I uh, took, a, I'm trying to remember, it took maybe a week. Um, and he didn't prescribe me anything. Um, I still had the double vision and the severe vertigo. Oh, wow. So um, you weren't even driving by then? No, I, I, I couldn't drive. I put, I had plans for that weekend that I was determined that I was still going to keep. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. And, um, but the eye doctor gave me an eye patch to wear. And as long as I kept the one eye closed, I was able to ambulate and I didn't drive and I needed help walking, but I, um, you know, was able to keep my plans for that weekend. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. And I had family and friends, you know, that were very concerned and, you know, 
helped me where they could. Sure. And well, and then, so he didn't prescribe medication, but did he at least give you like start you on steroids or something? You know, I'm thinking he did give me some kind of oral steroid. Um, I think he did, but what I remembered the most was when I did see the neurologist the following week, they immediately put me on IV steroids. Oh, wow. And um, were giving me big doses of IV steroids. And that did help resolve the double vision and the vertigo. And um, they wanted to put me on, that was the first year in my interest, you might know more than me, but that was the first year that one of the pharmaceuticals for relapsing remitting MS had hit the market. They didn't have anything else. Right. Was it Avanex? Yeah, it was Avanex. And um, I didn't like giving myself the shot. I, you know, the whole thing was just kind of surreal for me. Um, and it did give me like flu for three days every time after I had the shot. How many times um, did you have to inject yourself? I was on once a week. Um, so I made my sister come over and give me the shot just because it was just all so new. Sure. So um, half a week, you're feeling lousy. Yeah. So half the week, I basically had the flu. I maybe had one or two days where I was able to function. Thankfully, I was only working part time um, at that time. And my employer, I didn't know it at the time. I was doing contract work. I had quit my first career. Um, now, looking back, you know, hindsight 2020, I think a lot of the stress that I endured mm. um, was a big contributor to things presenting, you know, like they did. I think stress is absolutely. It's such a trigger. Yeah. Um, so that's how I got diagnosed and got started on the journey with medical doctors and steroids and shots. And so how many different medications did you try before? How did you even come to find HSCT? Well, I tried everything that I was eligible for over the 20 something years that I had the MS diagnosis mm. because I was not responding well to any of the medications. I've tried everything, but um, I think Jolinia. My last medication was the Tecfidera oral medication literally almost killed me. Oh no. And, um, the neurologist that had prescribed it called me on my personal phone in the middle of the afternoon and said, immediately stop taking this medication. Oh my gosh. And you know, that doesn't happen all the time, right? Not with medical doctors. And, um, but I knew I'm like, Oh my gosh, this, I could not even blink. I mean, I could not function at all. Um, by the time I had gotten prescribed the, the tech Federa. You know, I, I, over the years, I ended up losing so many of my normal 
body functions. I was not able to hold my bladder. I was having to wear adult diapers. Um, I was so fatigued. It was like I was trying to walk through mud every day, just mm. even trying to take a step. Um, the balance was horrible, horrible. So I, I just tried to, you know, go, you know, you, you're, you're kind of lost really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because you feel like you're doing everything the doctors can help you with and getting worse every day. Right. And as an aside, um, through college, I, I started out college as a pre-med major. I was always interested in science and medical things and human body and, and all of that. And I was dated and became engaged to a guy that had just finished medical school and was doing his residency in my hometown. All that to say, you know, we we were always talking about the latest thing happening in medicine. And at that time, that was in the late 80s, he ended up being an um, anesthesiologist. Mm. Um, but at that time, he was even complaining about during medical school how much time was spent on educating the future medical doctors on pharmaceuticals. And he he knew that that was going to end up being kind of a messy place to navigate one day. He was super brilliant um, because most of the education was on syncing up symptoms with drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I kind of had another view that was always kind of in my mind. I ended up not marrying him by my choice. Long story, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, you know, but that was a very, you know, eye-opening time for me. So fast forward five years from that season with him, and I had decided I'd didn't want to be a medical doctor because I knew myself and I knew I wouldn't have the discipline to get, get through the med school. <laughs> well, and you may have been experiencing some of the fatigue and early brain fog and symptoms of MS, not knowing it. I think I, I think I was for friends of mine that have known me that long. Um, they, they're like, Rebecca, remember working and you'd always have like these weird ticks and, pens would like suddenly like fly out of your hand and you know mm. it was a joke back then but looking back yeah there were some things that could be attributed to ms um so, so. fascinating so you find yourself in this state of i don't know how it felt to have a doctor call you and say, stop taking this medication immediately. Did you switch to something else or what led you to find HSCT? So when that doctor called and told me to stop that medication right off, I did. And I was not willing to jump right into another medication. 
So I said I would call if I wanted a different medication. That was 10 years ago, maybe. And um, I, after I got diagnosed, now keep in mind, this is right when computers and the internet had really sure. hit the market, right? right? <laughs> so I did get um, online back then and um, start researching treatments for autoimmune, um, different um, clinical trials, different things that were currently happening in the MS world. And there was chatter and talk about a stem cell treatment that could be promising, but there wasn't anything available at that time. Right. And because I had majored in some medical things, psychology, biology, several, you know, medical courses, I knew that stem cells were like, I mean, everything is, I mean, when we're being formed in our mother's womb, every stem cell has right. an assignment. You know, so I kind of knew some of the science behind it, but it wasn't anything that I really delved into because I went in another direction. But I did make a mental note to keep tabs on what was happening with stem cell research. So I would mention it to every medical doctor that I saw, like my primary doctor, because insurance makes you get your annual physical. Right. This, that, and the other. I didn't have any other problems. I didn't have a blood sugar. I didn't have blood pressure. I was overweight, but I didn't have any any major other health um, presentations. And I wanted to talk with current medical doctors about stem cell research and clinical trials and different things. And I was to every time shut down, every time. Um, but then my primary doctor finally kind of opened up a little bit because her partner in her medical practice ended up getting MS and had to, to quit working. And so it kind of hit close enough to home to where, you know, we had some good dialogue about it. Fascinating. Yeah. And great to have someone curious also to stay up with research. Yes. And she, she didn't stay, as you know, probably the medical world here in America, everybody is so specialized with their one bubble of practice that, you know, to kind of blur the lines and cross over into a different specialty, um, Nobody wants to go there because I guess, of it. Mm. you know, and I was so you could say bold um, and brazen, but for a good reason, like, no, things need to be talked about here. There's something off with why, if I want to try something, why would it be a bad choice for you Mr. or Mrs. Doctor to, you know, take that out of my, my sandbox. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, 
I just started being very vocal here in my local community, not in a degrading way, not in, you know, um, I wasn't a bully. I was just very open and curious, curious. And I, and I feel like I had good questions to where they kind of demanded an answer. Mm. <laughs> so how I found HSCT was during that time frame when I'm jumping through hoops on different pharmaceuticals, getting worse to the point where I was basically bedridden. I was not able to drive. I couldn't think. I couldn't I couldn't really function at all. And my husband was beside himself because when we got married, I was Wonder Woman. Sure. You know, three, three people in one. Um, and now I'm like down. I'm down. But I wanted to keep moving. And so I would stay on the computer and I got connected with the folks in the MS gym when they were just ramping up and, um, you know, talk with some of the people there. And, you know, I mentioned the stem cell scenario and one of the people in the group that I was in when MS gym was getting ramped up had had HSCT. Ah, and I had seen it kind of flutter around in front of me, you know, and pop ups when I was on the web and different things, I guess, just based on search words that I had put in at different times in my search engines. Um, and so he made me just hearing him made me drill down on it more. And um I really did a deep dive in the treatment, um, the science behind it, the doctors that were doing it, the cost, everything. I I just started kicking all the tires and I would lay in my bed and um, voice to text, notes to self because writing was hard. Oh, wow. And I would, you know, just make myself little notes or I would send something to the printer in our home office and just kind of put together a lot of facts about it. And that's how I found it. And so when did you decide that it was something to pursue? After, let's see, I probably researched on my own for about three months and talked to that guy that was in the MS gym, um, talked to my family. And I've always been, you know, an independent, make my own decision, run with it, you know, kind of person. So what I announced to my family was, I think I'm going to get a, a stem cell transplant. It's kind of like a bone marrow transplant. And um, I'm going to have to go out the country to do it. Wow. Oh. And what was their reaction? <laughs> you can hear crickets. Um, well, my dad and stepmom immediately, they said, we're coming up. We'll be there tomorrow. They, they were down in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm up here in Charlotte. And 
They said, we're coming up. We'll be there tomorrow. Uh, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, they wanted to know what I had, how I had come to that decision. Sure. Because they're very traditional thinking. The doctor says it. It's got to be perfectly right all right. the time. And I was not fully in that camp. And so, you know, I kind of filter things through a eat the meat and spit out the bones and make my own decisions. And I just go with where I have peace. Sure. Well, on so, all the research you did, surely with your background yeah. and training, it, it makes logical sense. Once you begin to understand the modality of the transplant and what it's looking to do in your body, it makes logical sense. Yes, it totally did. And then I, I knew that physically I was not going to be able to travel, you know, to Russia or Israel or somewhere really far away because I just could hardly even make it from my bed into a car and ride for an hour with somebody, you know, much less get on a plane and, and fly somewhere. Sure. So in your research, did you find Dr. Burt's study at Northwestern and you just realized you probably were not eligible? I did find Dr. Burt and did call his office and talked with his um, assistant at the time. And because my diagnosis still was in the relapsing remitting category. Um, at that time, their office was really wanting people that had a uh, secondary progressive primary, one of the progressive um, labels, you know, attached to their MS. Sure. I knew I had progressed, um, but I was kind of, I just didn't feel like going to a ton of doctor's appointments to hear the same thing a different way. That makes sense. And so how did you settle on finding, well, where did you decide to go? Um, Well, when I was looking, ideally, I would have stayed in the United States. Um, but then I ran into the obstacles of what insurance would pay or not pay. And then if I chose to pay out of pocket, what would that cost me? Um, so I was just kind of weighing the practical side of things. And I could have gone to, I think it was uh, Denver at the time, but it was going to end up being about 400,000 self-pay. And I knew at that time that people were, you know, mortgaging their houses, you know, doing all kinds of extreme things to fund their HSCT treatment. And I still didn't feel like that was something that, um, I wanted to do or needed to do. And, um, you know, people were doing their fundraisers and different things. I did not have the energy to try to do anything like that. Sure. You know, 
sounds easy. Oh, it's just a computer. There's oh, it's a lot of work. You know, it's just so much. Like I just didn't have the physical strength to even try to do something like that. And so um, the Mexico clinic, I did do a lot of research on the doctors, the way they ran it, everything that they did. I, I really honed in on that one because it was the closest one to me and the cost of the treatment was more reasonable. Sure. Um, at that time, it was, I think, 75000 collectively um, when you put in flight and a caregiver, because my husband cannot go with me sure. because of his work commitments. And to be honest, I think he he would have stressed me out. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it was a financial and a travel decision. So I called them, WhatsApp, talked to couple different people at the clinic got more details on everything they needed from me. Um, my sister helped me pull together the things that I needed to upload into their website portal and um, got them everything they needed for me. But also knowing that from talking with them and living in my body that I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pass all of the testing that they require once you get there. Right. Yeah. And then I, I'm like, well, I'm still going to try. Good for so. you. Good for you. So, well, you made it all the way to Puebla, I think is where you were treated. Yeah. And how was that travel on your own in the condition you were in? hard. It was really one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Um, and then uh, one of my good friends, she said, Rebecca, besides the hard, she said, you, you're tough as nails. She said it was very courageous. Absolutely. And I said, you know it was courageous. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I just, what year was this? It was 20... 18 and I was already like 23 years diagnosed with MS. Mm. I had already tried every pharmaceutical available. Um, the last one being Ocrevus, the infusions, um, and my body didn't like that either. What I did see is my all the medications were totally destroying my liver. Yes. And um, I knew that one of the filters for the treatment was a liver panel. And it was like a month before I was supposed to go, I had my physical here stateside. Um, and the liver panel enzymes came back through the roof. Oh, no. Like, and I had nothing else in the blood work that would show why my liver was so bad. So they sent me to a liver specialist and I told them when I got there, I said, listen, I can tell you right now what's wrong with my liver. I've been on an IV medication for MS that 
is horrible. I feel like a dream wreck. It's not helping me. And I'm fully convinced that that medication is what is sending my liver into the place that it's in. Mm. And I said, but I am off it now because you had to be off of it for a certain amount of time before you went to get the, the HSCT. And I said, I just recently stopped taking the Ogrevus and I'm believing that before I leave in four weeks to go to Mexico, that my liver is going to have recovered some. And um, so thankfully it did. My my numbers Wonderful. were back to, back to normal by the time I got to Fabla. Isn't that amazing? Yes. The body's ability to heal is amazing. So amazing. So why don't you share with us a memorable experience during your time with HSCT? There were several, but one of the most touching moments was when I was going through aphoresis and I was having a difficult time Mm. um, while hooked up to the machine. And I was semi-conscious, I guess. And the two doctors that were running the aphoresis machine, one of them went and got the head neurologist, which was, I think it was Dr. Ruiz's son-in-law or something. And one of the other medical doctors that was in the clinic for something else. So I had four, the clinic's medical doctors standing over me while I'm going through aphoresis. And I, I was scared. It was, um, I thought in that moment, okay, this is it. I'm going to be one of those statistics. And um, one of the medical doctors held my hand, got down on his knees next to me in the bed and was just rubbing my arm and talking to me, you know, real gentle and just, you know, being so compassionate. And I knew that's what he was doing, but I couldn't talk. I couldn't communicate back, you know. Um, And he was saying things like, you're almost done. You know, they're watching the numbers, right? They're watching everything happening. They can see my vitals. They can see every everything that they want to see. And this one doctor was turned into like a, aphoresis coach right he he was like you're almost done just five more minutes we almost have what we need you know and I could hear his voice and I knew that he was like right there with me and I got through it obviously um I slept for two days after that experience yeah I bet but that was one, you know, and then outside of just the the friendliness and the professionalism and the um, efficiency of the whole system there, you know, it wasn't hurry up and wait. Oh, let's go to this other specialist. Now this specialist. Now that. Now you're three, four months into. Um, a new medical problem and 
still the right hand was is not talking to the left hand. I experienced the opposite in Puebla. I experienced a team of doctors and nurses and everybody else that were just all in unity working together to help those of us that were sick. That's beautiful. And That's all it, they do, right? That's their specialty. And so, yeah, it makes sense that everyone there is focused on HSET. Yes. And the caregiver that I had, I was her first patient. She was a physical therapist in Mexico, just um, as her regular job. And, um, but, and then she got employed by Clinica Ruiz. And um, I was her first patient that she was a caregiver for. Oh, wow. And um, I just told her, listen, we're in this together. Cause she had to be with me 24 seven. Right. I, I had one of the apartments in the clinic, which was beautiful. <laughs> it was a beautiful, contemporary, clean, comfortable mm. two bedroom apartment. Um, not that I could really do anything with it because <laughs> I was so sick when I got there, you know, and there were people of every um, people from all over the world, there, different presentations of MS because we're like snowflakes, right? Absolutely. And yeah, they were the ones that said that I was secondary progressive, that I was not relapsing, remitting. Sure. And in the States, um, they only do MRIs through down to the cervical spine. And in Mexico, I got four MRIs. I got a couple of different views in my brain and my entire spine. And they're the ones that found lesions in my spine, MS lesions in my mm, spine. Mm -hmm. But I did mention not related to MS, um, work related. I had lumbar fusion back surgery in 2013 and so I had been through that so going into stuff with MS just my mobility was already having sure. a hard time very compromised and then, yeah and then to know that there were lesions in my spine that I didn't know I had I mean I knew in my body I'm like oh I, you know, you kind of yeah. know yep. what part of your brain talks to what part of your body, what part of your spine, you know. Um, I mean, I was not surprised at all with some of the presentation I had. So, so what were what were your physical symptoms like when you got to Mexico? And um, clearly, okay. you made it through the testing, right? Yeah, barely, barely. I barely made it through the testing. Um. And, you know, they were trying to coach me, you know, there was a good chance I would be a non-responder because I had had MS for so long. And, um, you know, well, all I could do is try it and see. I mean, that was my last hoorah. Like, 
either this is going to help me or I'm on my way to a long-term care facility. I mean, I knew that's where I was at physically. But the symptoms I had over the years, you know, started with the vertigo and the double vision, the extreme fatigue. Um, Then my left side totally stopped working. And then when it started to come back, I had bad drop foot, bad balance. And I was having, I call them like clonus type spasms where Mm. my left leg and my left arm would just kind of draw up into a claw and pull Mm -hmm. up, you know, um, I never knew when that was going to happen. I had that. Then I stopped being able to hold my bladder and it got progressively worse and ended up having to wear adult diapers. And then I started um, not being able to really control my bowels. That was getting closer to the time of when I was trying to get in for HSCT. Mm. And it was so much as invisible, you know, like, yes, yes. And really all of it is unless you're like falling on the ground, shaking like a leaf, you know, they're like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with her. (laughs) But that's the value of sharing our stories, right? Because it helps to illuminate those invisibilities. Yeah. And so then how was recovery? Like, I'm assuming you made it through transplant okay and then got home okay. And coming home, I didn't feel like I was ready to be sent home. Same. Um, <laughs> Same. Oh, for you? Yeah. Yeah. I I was that was hard. I'm like, I I, I don't think I can make it, you know. I, I I don't know. I mean, I was hurting still you know, just weakness and nausea and, you know, my numbers had, my blood panels had just come up to the level that they look for before they send you home. And um, they kept me one extra day because my numbers didn't come up quite as fast as some of the others. And I still didn't feel like I was ready to go home. And, and I said, you were receiving 24-hour care from a trained caregiver. Yeah. Like for me, that was a nerve-wracking part of going home. It's like, well, what about the parts of day that I'm going to be by myself? Right. Exactly. And, you know, my husband, he, you know, did his best to prepare the house um, for me being neutropenic and, He hired a hospital cleaning person to come and totally sanitize, especially the master bedroom and bathroom, and then the rest of the house. So it was ready for me to come home. That's awesome. And, you know, they don't want you to eat a lot of fresh foods and different things. And you don't really feel like eating that much. So I think my major diet was Pringles potato chips. <laughs> and um, just because my, I was home by myself and, you know, my sister wanted to cook and people wanted to bring me things, but I couldn't receive any of that. 
you know, and just going down that food list they sent you home with, that part was hard, you know, but obviously I made it through. Yeah, indeed. And they've changed that list a little bit. So I'm curious about a superpower that you gained from your experience with HSCT. Gosh, I think superpower is because Jen, before HSCT, I was a horse person Mm. and that was my happy place. Even though I couldn't do anything real athletic on the back of a horse anymore, um, it was just my happy place to be sitting on the back of a horse hugging its neck and feeling its movement as it's walking slowly. Yeah. It was, it was just, it was one of those places for me. Um, And I had a friend say, Oh, your suit, you've got blah, 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 superpower. I'm like, I, I don't know. I just try to keep going. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Grace, (laughs) maybe just accepting people that will never understand and not letting it affect me emotionally, Mm. you know, um, giving grace to people that, you know, like the man that chewed my sister out when she wanted me to go to Costco, which big box stores, no way. No oh, way. man, it's tough to get and around. So my sister, she's like, come on, sis, we're going to, you can get in the scooter. And, you know, she was determined to get me out of the house and help me with something. And I said, sis, you're going to have to go get the scooter, bring it here to the car. Right. You know, I'll try. I said, but, you know, when I'm ready to go, I'm going back to the car. I said, I'll lay down in the car if, if you're still getting stuff. But she parked in the handicap, right? And um, a man parked nose to nose facing us. And he he was older than us. And he got out the car and was just giving her what for, you know, kind of yelling at her. Yikes. Saying, you know, it was people like you that, you know, park here i'm still sitting in the passenger seat and my sister she stood up she, i thought oh lord oh lord. we had the handicap placard thing that my doctor had right given me. we weren't breaking any laws and um my sister said sir you take my sister's ms if you can park here all day long oh yeah and it was like he backed up a couple of steps. And, you know, it's those moments where I could get pulled into like an emotional place of just anger and, you know, disgust with the human race. <laughs> sure. Or just, you know, it's just, I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm just going to live my life the best I can. And, you know, be nice to people. That's a superpower um, indeed, especially these days. Yeah, I think so, because people are so quick to get offended, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and it I guess you're right. I guess that is one of the superpowers that 
I had to really dig deep in myself too, because I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to, you know, try to educate that little man and, you know, but I didn't have the energy or the, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. And, you know, I just started just rolling with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. laughing, laughing instead of crying. And I, you know, laughter is probably one of my superpowers too, mm. because at the end of the day, I just find, I, I try to find some glimmer of something beautiful, something to make you smile, um, something good and all of the ick, you know, and it just keeps me in a place of peace. And mm, that's wonderful. You know, I just how I roll. That's a nice way to roll. So how are you doing four years later? How did HSCT serve you? Um, I feel, which is a real general word, but instead of feeling like the train wreck trying to still go through that sinking hole of mud, quicksand, just, I feel a lot better. I still have, you know, some symptoms that I believe some of the MS damage in my brain is um, still it, I don't ever like to say anything's permanent because I believe right. the body can address certain things, you know, but because I had such a heavy lesion load, as they say in the medical words, um, and a very big black hole of lesion in my corpus callosum oh. and my hypothalamus and Name, I uh, had a lot of MS. Sure. And um, my balance is a lot better. I'm able to get out of the bed and get dressed and kind of take care of myself. Now, I still sit on a stool in the shower, but I can get in the shower and take a shower. You know, I mean, I, I just, I'm not the same me I was mm. 20 years ago. Sure. Um, but I'm not in a long-term care facility. And HSCT gave me a new lease on this thing called life. Mm. And I'm just grabbing it and going, I'm trying to, you know, I'm sitting here in my home office <clears throat> looking at my little art easel, which I never had time for before because I was working so much, um, is, you know, trying to do some art. It is therapeutic, so therapeutic. Indeed. And music is therapeutic for me. And sit, just being outside and laying on my mat and doing some stretches and just kind of being present. I can't ride horses anymore. I can't walk on natural ground. That's still hard for me. So going out and like retrieving your horse and mounting up, I can't do any of that. Sure. But my, my niece is a very good little equestrian. And so 
I go out and I can watch her and I can schmoozle with her horse. Oh, you know, and my sister is amazing. She knows I can't really walk through the pastures or whatever. I mean, I look like I've had five bottles of liquor <laughs> trying to sure, you know, um, I can't wear my pretty shoes anymore, but who cares? I, right? I can walk. Yeah, exactly. Walk, you know, I can, I can put shoes on. I have a leg there that I can put shoes on. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. I just, yes, there's always going to be somebody better off somebody that's not quite as, you know, good as you are, you know, just work with what you have and try to keep your, your attitude and your mind in the right place. Yeah. Mindset is such a huge part of HSCT and recovery. So I'm curious about why it was important for you to participate in the podcast. Um, I value human relationships and the like solitary confinement is a form of torture and MS tends to keep the sufferer in a lonely place. Yes. And so combating that the best way I can is I give, you know, energy and time to people that build me up. You know, that I don't feel drain me if I have to be in with them for five minutes, sure. you know, and so I just I just try to, I guess you could say, protect myself, triage myself, because I'm a people person. I love people and I I just put myself out there a lot and um Sometimes it comes back to bite me. <laughs> but hopefully so, this is, I mean, even sharing your story, right, is putting out that good energy in the world and it yeah. will return to you. And it has. And I've seen the upside of humanity in this journey. You know, the times when I'm in the wheelchair, in my scooter, but I'm trying to go to the grocery store and I can't reach something on the top shelf. And I have my service dog with me, which is a 130-pound Newfoundland. Oh, <laughs> So the two of us are a sight to behold trying to make it down the grocery aisle. Indeed. <laughs> but just the people that, you know, can I get you something? You know, those moments are so meaningful because those people don't know how much it helps if they really knew how much it helped, there would be a lot more of those acts of kindness, right? Mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's great to see community showing up for you. Yes. And I appreciate you showing up for our community. Oh, sure. It's important. You know, community is important for people and it's, you know, if, if something that you can say or do helps or lifts up another person, mm. even better. 
Yeah. You know, we're all just trying to figure out what it's like to be human. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I, I don't know that it, some people, you know, sometimes I, I don't claim to have it all figured out, but I just try to go with what has worked for me. Mm. And, you know, I've had so many people say, how do you stay so positive? How do you stay so, you know, happy? And my first response is, first of all, it's a choice. You can't get bogged down in the emotions. It's a choice. I can choose right this second how I'm going to react to whatever scenario has presented. And I choose joy. I choose the positive side. And if I can't walk in that, then I will, as gently as I can, make my way out the situation. Mm, that's so lovely. I can picture that in my mind. Thank you for that. Oh, sure. So is there anything else you're grateful for about your experience with HSCT that has gone unspoken? I'm grateful for the tenacity of the doctors, like Dr. Ruiz and others, that have stayed the course when it wasn't always the most favored place to be within any medical community. Mm. I'm grateful for their tenacity and focus, knowing that what they were doing was going to be good. I'm grateful for that. For sure. I feel ever, ever grateful for those doctors committed and dedicated to this I know research and this practice. It's just well, especially with, with you know, like us. I mean, being shut down from every angle with a lot of the red tape. And I understand, you know, having extra safety nets and extra testing and all that stuff. But I also know that like medical insurance companies here in the States have their own group of medical doctors that are only going to rule on something that favors the insurance company. Mm. And I was so, you know, frustrated at one point I said, and my insurance rep service person on the phone, I said, put me through to the medical doctors that you guys have working for you. I would like to have a conversation with them. <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, I was kind of pushy about it. And I did get one phone call from one of the medical doctor's offices. Wow. That worked for Blue Cross Blue Shield. And, you know, we were able to have kind of a off the record discussion about their challenges also. Um, within the medical um, stuff here in the state. Well, yeah, the parameters within which they have to operate. Yeah. So anyway. I hope you were able to enlighten them some to your research. Oh, I think I totally was. Awesome. I think when we hung up, I felt like 
I had made a sliver of a difference nice. somewhere. And you can't be intimidated by letters after a person's name, right? Exactly. <laughs> you just, if you can have a professional conversation and you're a reasonable thinker, and you're not just in the conversation for your own sake, you're in it for a bigger picture, then I think you can have dialogue with people that have influence in areas that we might not have influence in. Mm. And, you know, just recently, um, I connected with the girl that won Miss Wheelchair America. Do you know that that was a thing? No, that's awesome. Well, she she has a um, spinal cord injury from a diving accident, um, but she, you know, she doesn't have MS or anything autoimmune, but she's uh, almost a full quadriplegic from that diving accident. Sure, it's terrifying. And um, but what she her her platform now is she is really, she's like in a lobbying position um, now for the disabled people in America um, with some of the red tape with insurance. And she goes and testifies. And I mean, she's very well-spoken. That's awesome. And um I'm going to be talking with her next week. People, politicians, different people that have a bigger sphere of influence than I do that have heard my story. Um, they, they're like, you need to go, you know, testify to Congress or you need to go to this sort of meeting or whatever and talk to these people. And I, and I'm just now, what am I, four and a half years post or whatever, right. thinking, well, maybe I could do one thing like that, you know, <clears throat> but I just don't overcommit myself. Um, but I do have a lot to say. And if, you know, somebody is, driven as you or you know you have what you've done i i think is important and um i'm gonna make time for that but i also you know i don't mind going and sitting on the hill and when big insurance is there for something you know i i have friends that navigate a lobbying type thing, you know, and talk with these people that are representing insurance company, health insurance companies, a financial sector, you know, pick your, pick your thing. Right. Sure. And, um, I totally would go and, you know, say something to the right people. I don't want to just talk and waste my energy on people that don't have any sphere of influence sure. to make a difference. You know, we are not supposed to be a lobbying organization. Um, right. Because it's a different kind of a 501c, right? Yeah. But yeah. Um, 
that's not to say you're, you're like, more patient focused. You're more well, education focused. Yeah. So if which, it falls in the realm of helping people become more educated and informed, it counts. Maybe we just continue the conversation and continue thinking about even helping, like helping us put together talking points or an elevator speech. Yeah. Or a letter, some kind of form letter that we can all send to our state representatives that people could download from our website and personalize, but get those talking points out to the directors of state insurance agencies or yeah. Congress, right? Right. Or, or even, you know, trying to find out who is the contact. Exactly. Yeah. We don't have a volunteer helping us with that. And we have well, no idea where to I, start. I'm not volunteering myself, but yeah, I, I, right, I'm right. enjoying the dialogue. But that is one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to connecting with Miss Wheelchair America. Yes, I can't remember that's amazing. Because she's already dug out a lot of those contacts right. and a lot of the yeah. roads, right? And I'm just curious who she's interacting with. And who she feels like she's making a difference with because she had a really bad experience when she was first paralyzed with her medical insurance. And um, that's not unlike you know, the experiences we tend to have. You know, and it's it's just out of ignorance, right? It, it's, Absolutely. It, and then, you know, a money thing. You know, but like the doctors at the Levine Cancer Institute and the nurses were talking to me about, it's a, a thing of nomenclature for them as far as, you know, the wording of your diagnosis sure. and things like that, you know. Um, it all comes down to language. Yes, it does. And the way it's presented, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Sure. And I really just appreciate your time and sharing so vulnerably with us all about your experience with MS and getting to clinical Ruiz, the struggle, right, through apheresis and how well you're doing now that you're back home four plus years. Yeah, I'm doing a lot better which is awesome. And the bonus, right? It's not always a guarantee that anything will improve. Right. The only thing that I managed my expectation on was that it would stop the disease progression. Yeah. That's all we can hope for. That, yes. And I feel like it has. I just recently got an MRI last year, late last year, and it showed where the MS damage still was, but nothing was active. Awesome. And at the end of the day, that's the best scenario that I could have hoped for outside of a creative miracle. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I accept that I'm in this, still in this body. <laughs> for sure. For yeah. sure. And that's an important place to be as well. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for taking time to put it out there for 
people that need to hear certain things. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing your story. I hope um, others find a way to connect to your story and even to you moving forward. Absolutely. So all the best to you with continued health and wellness in your recovery. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. You take good care of yourself. Okay. You too, Jen. Bye, Rebecca. Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind, be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.